I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting. Today we've got Heinrich Rusch in the studio. Heinrich is the CRO of Building Radar, and he's also the founder of Firm Learning. But before we jump into that, I just want to remind everyone that we are sponsored by ECA Partners, a project staffing and executive search firm that I currently run and lead. Heinrich, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Very excited to do this together with you here today. Likewise, as I was telling you before we hit the record button today, Heinrich, it's it's really a pleasure to have you on, just given the amount you've done in the content space for consultants specifically. And as you know, this show is, is focused on life after consulting, but maybe we'd love to start with your bio in general and you know how you got into consulting and you, just your career path in general. Of course. So I'm based here in Munich. So in the south of Germany, I was actually raised originally in Berlin, then in the west of Germany in a more rural area. I started studying in Munich, later also did some studies abroad. And then after university, I thought it might be fun to join a consulting firm, actually, which is why then I joined McKinsey first in the Berlin office, later in the Munich office. Did all kinds of things there, different types of projects. In the beginning, I did a lot of marketing and sales work, actually also lots of pricing engagements, later focusing a bit more on digitalization. And then in the last years, lots of work, especially in automotive and also restructuring projects. So I think I've seen different sides of, of the medal. So I was in this generalist track at the time. So I was there for a total of about six years, then left as a junior project manager. And then afterwards, I joined industry. So I joined a medium-sized retailer, a fashion, premium fashion retailer in Germany. And it was an interesting time. Uh, the company was also in a restructuring situation at the time. So that was something that played quite well into my experience at the firm at McKinsey. And then we yeah, accompanied this company for about two years. So me leading the transformation bureau. And actually it ended that the company was being sold to a strategic investor in the fashion space. That was early last year, early 2021. And then actually I saw myself maybe doing some type of yoga retreat, maybe just relaxing <laughs> a little bit, thinking about what I will do next in my life. But then I, I got in touch with some actually old friends of mine already a couple of years ago, started a, a startup in the prop tech, property technology niche. And then we just talked and then actually it was, was lots of fun. It was quite exciting, the opportunity, which is then why I decided to join in a rather spontaneous way. Um, this is what I'm doing since then, and I'm enjoying every day of it. Excellent. Not every um, single day, but most of it, <laughs> to be very uh, honest about it. <laughs> well, most is uh, better better than most, let's put it that way. Exactly. So, Heinrich, let's jump into, I guess, Building Radar first, which is the property tech uh, company that you mentioned. Would love to just hear a little bit more about it and what you all do. Yeah, so we're helping companies in the construction space to build a proactive sales channel. And these are construction companies, both GCs, so general contractors, but also BPMs, building product manufacturers. So companies that produce components that go into buildings, for instance, flooring solutions, facade solutions, HVAC solutions, and so on. And traditionally in the construction industry, a majority of the sales was created by personal networks of decision makers or sales reps. Or second, just the, the reputation of the company, right? A company being in the marketplace for a long time, having built this reputation up over time. And this is where the majority of the sales was coming from. Not for all the companies, but for a big vast amount of the companies. And we are actually helping construction companies to get a bit more independent from these two channels by adopting a more proactive sales approach. A sales approach that is very popular, for instance, in the software industry, in the SaaS industry, where you look into the marketplace, 
look into projects that they, that you feel like might be a good fit with your solution, your value offering, and then you proactively approach these projects, these construction projects to get in touch and potentially um, talk whether your solution might not be a great value add to the to the developer or to the architect bureau, planning bureau bids this. And this is what we do. Excellent. And so that provides, I guess, value to kind of both both sides of that part, that transaction. Is that right? Exactly. So both, of course, the companies who would like to place their products and then also the other party, which would like to get in touch with some innovative solutions beyond just tendering some things that maybe they want to, to have bidden. Excellent. And is this across the EU, EU or is this a, a specific to Germany or global? I guess, how do you think about uh, your geographic reach? It's actually global. So not everything that we do, but a good part of our solution is that we have an algorithm. So it's, it's an AI-based system, machine learning-based system that actually searches the internet for new construction projects. And this is not bound by country borders. If at all, it's bound by languages. So there are a couple of languages that our algorithms understand. So this is, of course, English, but then also German, French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and a couple of other languages like that. Areas like Asia, for instance, here we lack some of the languages, some of the big ones. Here we would only find the major projects, big projects that are also published in English-speaking publications. But then in all the other countries um, that we cover, there we would also find projects that are published in, in the native languages. That's excellent. Can you maybe just give our listeners an example of how this might be used in kind of real time? Of course. So imagine you're a sales rep of such a construction company looking to just fill your pipeline, your sales pipeline, looking into some new projects where you could place your solutions in. You exhausted your network, currently nothing new that, that uh, comes up in the email at, in the morning, but you still need to close a couple of deals to hit your quota. So wouldn't it be great to have a system that tells you where new projects are popping up, actually the very early stage, so very early planning stage that, that fit your search criteria, the types of projects that you're interested in, in the locations that you are able to serve, of the construction volumes that you're able to serve. And then you know about that, but then what do you do, right? Because you need to get in touch with these projects. Do you just write an email to the info at email address? Do you just call the reception of, of the developer of this, this project? Well, you might do that, but likely not the highest likelihood of success. Of course, here it would likely help to maybe have the personal mobile phone number of one of the decision makers that you can directly reach out, get in, in touch and schedule a meeting. And this is really uh, what we do, right? Because once then such a sales professional has a meeting, then it just goes the, the normal flow of how this would usually go. Also, if they would just get a request from the network, but we really help to make these people successful from identifying projects up until the point when they get the meeting and then we also support or we, we enable the salespeople with some outreach tips, helping them write the best possible emails, some marketing automation tools that are attached to that. So this is the, the sphere that we are playing in. Excellent. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually lead sales for, for the sales platform. T tell us a little bit more about that. So the job title is um, Chief Revenue Officer. It's, um, it's encompassing different functions, so really the commercial processes, right? So sales marketing functions, also the, the first parts of customer success. So in the last two or three years, we changed a little bit the approach that we had towards the marketplace. So very early on in the early days, we were just selling data, just selling projects. Now we're also looking at this process part much more. So when I joined uh, this shift, this transformation, also from a strategic perspective, was one of the topics I was working on, right? So how does our sales process, for instance, need to change given that now we are selling a slightly different 
thing. How do we interact with our prospects, with our customers in the best way? How do we make sure that our customers actually have the best experience when working with us from the very first interaction up until the point where then we sign the contract together? And then, of course, we hand it over to then the daily business types of things. So that was a big part of the task in the beginning. We renewed our IT setup. We're using HubSpot, for instance, and, and Salesforce and some other solutions like that. We changed a little bit the setup here. This was also something I was leading. And then, of course, making sure that on a day-to-day -day basis, these teams operate successfully. Excellent. And I'll ask you something, Heinrich, that, that, that we talked to most of our guests about. Tell me a little bit more about how you feel like consulting might have prepared you well for this role and maybe where you wish you could have knew more coming in. So one of the things that throughout the whole journey, also after consulting, I think is the most helpful aspect is just this confidence that you build over time by being thrown into a project in consulting in an industry that if you are in one of the junior roles you've probably never worked in about a topic that you've never worked in and then suddenly needing to learn within very short amount of time how to just get up to speed understand the basics that you're able to have qualified conversations with with the client counterparts and of course also with the rest of your team because of course the consulting teams not only consists of maybe a bit more unexperienced juniors but also of actually quite experienced project leads junior partners partners that then shape the solution together and then of course expect that you pick up these things understand right if they tell you something they're able to to, to deal with the flow and of course, you're sitting together in meetings with also senior executives of the client over time. And of course, they expect you to be confident, right? So being in these types of situations in a repeated amount of time, industry after industry, function after function. And then, of course, after one or two years, you also yourself specialize more and more. And then, of course, you start really building also this domain expertise that maybe in the beginning you were lacking and then also developing yourself into a senior consultant that then is more experienced, of course, and more expected to all these things. But actually realizing that it's possible, right? That you, if you are suddenly you now faced with a completely new challenge in a completely new business era that you've never seen because you showed, you proved yourself in the past repeatedly that you're able to do that, it gives you the confidence that you are able to do this in the future as well. And maybe that doesn't sound that exciting, but actually I think that this, is, this confidence is what many people lack, right? I think many people, if they would be offered with a position on, on an area, on a task that it didn't do that much before, they would probably hesitate, right? Can I do it? Is it possible? Am I the right person? And am I really qualified enough, right? Yeah. And probably you don't even dare to apply. You don't even dare to pick up that position. This gave me the confidence, right? And of course, it's, it's important to not overstretch yourself. It's important to not uh, flip into some type of an arrogant way of operating an arrogant perspective that you feel like you know it all, you know it better than everyone else, right? So I think this humble mindset at the end of the day is still important to learn a lot in the very beginning. Take the time to learn also from your colleagues, from the interactions that you have to then over time indeed also build the domain knowledge yourself. But this confidence is something that I underestimated in the beginning and I think that had a very, very big impact then also for the career trajectory that I'm currently in. I think that's right. And given enough reps in, you know, when you're thrown in the deep end and you really, you really don't know what you're doing, right? And you have a few hours to kind of figure it out or a few days to figure it out. I definitely think that helps to build confidence. If I'm not mistaken, you were in consulting for quite some time, I think six years. Is that right? A total of six years. So in this time, I also did an MBA and, and, and some education and things like that. But in, so probably if you deduct all of that, it's like four and a half years or something like that. 
Excellent. And Heinrich, on the flip side, where do you feel like maybe you've seen some things now being in the, the quote unquote re real world where you wish you would have learned that or you didn't see that coming from consulting? And this is, of course, also a cliche point. Bring it on. <laughs> I always knew that this is the case, but I think I only really understood it once then indeed I was working in some line manager type of roles or some operational roles myself. Yeah. And this is really the point on just on uh, operations and execution. Maybe let me just give you an example. So from my role working with this retailer, mm -hmm. right? so I was at the retailer also responsible for the e-com, so the e-commerce operations just as part of the transformation effort that we were in at the time. And I wanted to offer PayPal in our online shop. And I thought that surely can't be so difficult, right? I mean, I don't know. I <laughs> thought maybe that takes one week. If we really take a lot of time, maybe that takes two weeks. And surely at the time when I was a consultant, this is exactly what I would expect it. And probably, you know, like how does this work as a consultant? If you know work on such an e-commerce engagement and you need to improve the operations, probably you create a slide yep. and then you have like a list of recommendations and then probably you just write out, okay, you recommend to implement PayPal as a payment option and then say, okay, probably in two weeks then it will be there, right? So we started and then first of all, we found out that actually the shop system that we were using, it wasn't really touched for like almost 10 years. So it was a super old system that also wasn't easily being able to update it anymore. So it was not at all trivial, just in terms of the interfaces from this shop system to our accounting system, that was a very complex thing, right? So just to make sure that something like PayPal that would communicate the right way. So we needed to get some developers of this old system. The system was so old that it actually was quite difficult to even find the people to really build features like this. So this is where we started because we were under quite a lot of pressure. Uh, we weren't just able to say, let's invest a couple of hundred K just to update the whole infrastructure. That was not possible because we didn't have the budget at the time. Then we found out that our accounting system of our company, right? So of, of the main operations of the company actually only supported a limited amount of slots of payment options okay. connected yep. to the system, right? But these slots were all taken. So we needed to come up with some, some, some workarounds so we still were able to connect this to make this work in the proper way. Then we started to set up some PayPal accounts for our company. Then in the end, there was a problem that actually the accounts that you were setting up were not the right ones. And then it took weeks just to figure this out with the PayPal support to make sure that all the accounts were set up in the right way and so on. So at the end of the day, it took months, right, until all of this worked in the right way. And of course, it's always easier if you are a young startup, you just build everything from scratch. You can just always use the latest technology. Of course, then probably indeed does only take you one or two weeks. But if you really are faced with, with legacy systems, if you have operations of a certain size, where then really also you can expect the auditors to look at your transactions in a bit more diligent ways, so of course, you need to make sure that all the financial accounting and so on is, is done the right way. Uh, you're faced with certain challenges. I think if you've never looked at these things beyond just some PowerPoint slides giving recommendations, it's really difficult to appreciate the complexity that you are faced with legacy IT and so on. And this is just one of many examples where I, I was in the position to learn this in the, in the real way, right? And uh, I think a humbling example indeed, and, and surely something that yeah, just adds to all this learning. I appreciate you sharing that. While you admittedly said it was cliche before you gave it to us, I think it's one that I continue to unfortunately learn over and over and over again, despite intuitively knowing this. And I guess speaking of uh, that, that retail experience, that, that was your first role out of consulting, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. 
Could you talk a little bit about kind of like how you made that decision to actually leave consulting and jump onto something new? So this retail company was actually our family business, right? So I had very close family ties. So there were family members of mine involved in it, uh, which is, of course, why the choice of this very specific company came in. The timing was, in the end of the day, also quite a lot driven by the special situation that this company was in because it was indeed in a restructuring situation. This was the reason why this very specific time I was then starting to join. Besides this very special situation that I was in at that time, it was still clear to me that I likely didn't would have wanted to really continue on in consulting for a very, very significant amount of time. Probably would have stayed at least for like another half a year or another year or so. I didn't have a clear plan yet when exactly I would leave. But it was clear that I didn't uh, wanted to do it all the way. For me, I realized that once I was a young project lead, I first of all got in the first years really this learning curve of the analytical way of working. How do you structure problems? How do you adapt to these new situations in a repeated way? And then once I did my first projects as a project lead, I also got the team lead experience, understanding what it's like to lead a team in such an environment, managing really team members, managing stakeholders, which is one of the main responsibilities of a project lead. As an associate, your, your life is not easy, but it's it's less complex, yes. right? You have a certain work stream that you're responsible for, you need to deliver that. And if you have a problem, you reach out to your project lead and then you will hopefully solve it with your project lead. Now I'm downplaying it maybe a little bit, but as a project lead, the issue is that you have your team members, your consultants, your associates. And of course, if then for too many nights, maybe <laughs> you work too long, right? They will go to you and they will complain to you, right? Can we do it differently, right? right? So this is all the pressure that you get from your associates. Then you have your clients, right? That always reach out to you as a project lead. You know, this is not good enough. We need more on this. We need more on that. Yada, yada, yada. All the pressure that you get. Then you have all your partners. So your internal leadership that, of course, also put their pressure on you. Sometimes you have also different partners with maybe slightly different agendas or slightly different perspectives on what the right way forward is. And you're kind of in the middle needing to manage all that, right? So that's the challenge of being a project lead, at least in a, in a strategy consulting firm like, like McKinsey, BCG, Bain Trust and other consulting firms. It's, it's similar. And then I got that experience as well. And then I felt like I got a lot of this steep learning curve that you experience in the very beginning. And of course, on the one hand side, things are always new and fresh. It is always in a project. It is always something new. But then on the other side of the medal, certain things also repeat, right? So in the beginning, you have the kickoff with the clients, then you have the team kickoff, then you structure the whole project, then every two weeks, you have the steer code that you need to prepare, you align all the content with the steer code, you reach out to the internal, external experts, prepare the thing to sit together with the managerial accounting team, get the data, crunch the numbers, lead the project problem solving sessions, and so on. So the process at some point does get a little bit repetitive, probably much less repetitive than in many other <laughs> yes. roads. But at some point I felt like I had enough of it and I wanted to do something else. And of course, then the one way forward is to say, okay, I just want to continue like that. And then of course, at some point you get in this junior partner, the NATO is the partner track, which much more about doing sales, uh, building client relationships, doing this type, these types of things. But I felt like the time was ready for something new. And then I think it was just the coincidence that then this opportunity really came up also more or less in this, this window of opportunity that I was thinking about. Speaking of learning curve, you felt like you reached that. You're also the founder of Firm Learning. Could you tell our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with that what it is you, you do? So today I'd say it's an 
educational platform that is based uh, in the social media world where I share content about, so, so my tagline is uh, how to be successful, how to become successful in the first years of your career. So I try really young professionals working in ambitious career tracks like consulting, maybe also banking or also conceptual departments in corporate and industry to give them all the skills or help them at least giving them all the skills, probably that would be a bit arrogant to say, but helping them to become successful in the first years of their career. And I mainly do this with a YouTube channel where I create regular videos almost every week, but then also other platforms, Instagram, TikTok, and so on, where I'm sharing content. This is what from learning is at the end of the day. <laughs> and Heinrich is being quite humble. It's been a big success with, uh, I think, nearly 200,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken. And some of his videos have close to half a million uh, views. It's a great resource. And the, the reason, actually, I reached out to Heinrich to talk to him and get to know him is because I kind of, I saw his show is, okay, here's what you do before consulting. And, you know, our show aims to be here. Here's what you can do after. I guess, what are your plans with this show? And would love to hear a little bit more about kind of how you plan to, I guess, steer the, the content. So maybe let's first talk about how I started it, because then I think this helps understand what my future plans are. So I started it in early 2020. So I was a couple of months out of consulting, I left consulting end of 2019. And... Of course, my new job was demanding, right? But surely not as hard in terms of working hours than the job in consulting. So I had a bit more spare time in the evenings. Didn't really know what to do with all the time. I, I figured, you know, just watching Netflix every evening is maybe fun on some days, but maybe <laughs> not something to develop as a habit on every single day. And um, then I just had this weird idea. I think I watched a couple of YouTube videos also on some educational work-related topics. And I thought, why don't I do a YouTube video about this as well? And probably the, the backstory of this, the, the story before is that already a bit before that, I created an online course on slide writing skills, on how to create slides like the big management consulting firms. I had it hosted on a couple of these, uh, these course hosting platforms. And this is already something that resonated quite a little bit. So he had this idea to maybe expand on this type of content a bit more and just talk a bit more about that. And indeed, up until today, I think these slide writing videos are still some of the most popular on my channel, right? So how to really build slides in the consulting style. And this was the idea. So then I asked my wife, say, what do you think? You know, shouldn't I start a YouTube channel? And she was like, nah, like, are you crazy? Who's starting a YouTube channel? Why would you want <laughs> the to voice do of that? reason? Exactly. <laughs> And then I really pondered it, oh, okay, maybe she's right. But then in a couple of weeks, I thought, you know, like, let, let's just start. Like, my rationale was, um, I just created a couple of videos. I, I wasn't telling anyone at first, because I did felt like maybe it's embarrassing and I embarrass myself or whatever. And then I just take them offline or delete them or whatever. And then worst thing, someone saw it or maybe saved it or whatever. But then I felt that's not that that bad. And then over time, indeed, it picked up a little bit. So then organically, the subscribers were growing. I was advertising it a little bit in some Facebook groups, some student Facebook groups. And then this is where I got the initial traction. Then indeed, it grew by the help of the YouTube algorithm. Then after half a year or so, some first videos were popping up, going a little bit viral, getting more views. And then this is how it started. And so frankly, at the moment, I just love to continue as is, right? So it does take quite a lot of time. So probably one or two days every week that I, I try to find the time on the weekends and then of course maybe also in the evenings during the week to create the content work on that it's something that's a lot of fun to me now i don't want to brag or anything right but every single day on instagram on linkedin or via email people reach out to me and say that 
the cottages has been very helpful it really helped them uh, many people say oh i got this job without your videos you know i wouldn't have been able to do that and so on and of course this is just something that makes me super happy i just love to read these types of messages and it feels like it really has an impact maybe not for everyone but at least there are some people out there who really consider this helpful i think this alone is a reason to to continue then of course there's also a commercial side to it which which is rewarding for me and uh, based on that i want to continue with that at the moment, I feel like it's great just to do this on parallel at the side. I still have my responsibilities from my full-time job and building radar. Of course, it also helps the company a little bit. So as also, for instance, as a recruiting channel, occasionally also talk about what I do as building radar. And I think we do see quite a good number of applications due to that. So I think it's a win-win also in that regard. So I will, I think, just continue just like this, right? Take it step by step, see where this journey leads me. And yeah, I really don't know where I will be with this project in one or two years or so. I will just try to take it organically and see where this leads. Excellent. For those of our listeners who have not checked it out, there's still a lot of very, very relevant content for folks even that have left consulting or are thinking about leaving consulting or still in consulting um, on Heinrich's channel. Highly recommend it. Really, really good stuff. Thank you, Ken. Very kind of you. Oh, yeah. No, actually, YouTube's algorithm pushed it to me because obviously I, we share some similar interests. So YouTube's doing their job too. So, and I guess that kind of uh, brings me to my next question, Heinrich. You've started as a consultant. You, you've taken a few jobs. You've actually built content yourself. Would love to hear a little bit more maybe for our listeners about maybe books or content that you consume that you find helpful. Of course. Um, so I indeed do consume lots of social media content myself. Here it's often a fine line between really just seeing what the others are doing, just learning myself as well. Obviously, I'm also like super interested whenever I see some other videos in my niche, for instance, that go viral. Of course, I'm very interested to see uh, how did that work, what did this person do. So there's a whole a whole learning system, right? A whole like wealth of knowledge yeah. if you really want to become successful as a content creator. So I con consume a lot of content in that regard. I love to listen to podcasts. Of course, it's partly then also procrastination, right? So then you always have an excuse just to, to watch a YouTube video in the evening because you feel like, oh, maybe I learned something helpful that, that I can leverage as well. Better than Netflix, right? <laughs> Better than Netflix, maybe. So that's surely a fine line, but I do, I do that. In terms of books, I, I do also like to consume just these typical management, productivity, and so on books. Actually, like on my videos, you find a link with some book recommendations always in the video description where just sharing some books that I like to read. I think here it's often also a fine line between really taking value out of these resources or just procrastination, right? I mean, I think it's also this cliche of you needing to get some stuff done and instead of doing that, you rather prefer reading a book about productivity or something like that, right? <laughs> so I think in the end of the day, there's no better productivity hack than just like sitting at your desk and just working on the things that you need to work on instead of setting up your new to-do management app or setting up your new Pomodoro or like whatever techniques there are out there. So again, I think this is a whole topic for itself. But of course, I'm also interested in this type of stuff. When I consume books, it's frankly mainly uh, via audio. So I do listen to lots of audiobooks. Though recently I felt like it's not really the same as reading, right? I mean, you get the content, you read, you, you understand the content, but ah, sometimes you're distracted and you don't really get it. I mean, often there are also illustrations in the books. So I'm thinking about maybe getting a bit more into this actual book reading as well in the future. But let's see. Going old school. Going old school, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And I think we can maybe conclude with you've done everything from, you know, consulting to, you know, transformation, consulting to CRO, consulting to 
be, you know, being a, an entrepreneur, what advice would you give to folks that are maybe, you know, sit, sitting in, in that team room right now, thinking about, the, you know, the first career step after consulting? So just looking back at my very personal experience, if you look back at all my steps, probably when I started consulting, everything that happened after consulting, I wouldn't even have thought of, right? So this very specific situation with the family business that at that point in time, I would be joining it later, this startup thing that at that point in time, I would be joining the startup. The fact that I'm starting a YouTube channel, just if you would have asked me three months before I, I created the first <laughs> video that I would uh, start a YouTube channel, I would have thought you are insane, right? It didn't even cross my mind, this thought, right? And my takeaway from that is don't feel like you need to plan it all. But instead, be open for opportunities. I mean, there's this concept of the, the surface area of luck, right? Of course, you can say that there's always luck involved. Of course, I was lucky that I created a couple of videos that were picked up by the, by the YouTube algorithm. And probably there were also different factors where uh, my career after consulting, which I'm very happy with, right? Where there were also lucky factors influencing it. But I think the wrong way to think about it is that you're just sitting at home just, you know, like playing with your thumbs and then just hoping that something lucky happens to you. This is surely not how you get lucky as well in your life. But, but how do you get lucky? You get lucky if you just try out new things. If you pick up a new hobby, right? Just do something that maybe uh, is not a bit out of the ordinary, right? If you just watch Netflix every evening, probably you're wasting a lot of time that you could invest in other things. Well, maybe it's not even clear yet to what this will lead in the future. If you pick up a, a hobby on photography because you think that maybe it might be a nice new thing to do, who knows what will come out of that, right? Also now all the things that I'm very grateful to experience also with the YouTube channel, for instance, opportunities to talk in a podcast like this. This was not at all my plan, not at all the idea when I... You didn't think about this as you were sitting in a, in a project team room? <laughs> I think that's great advice, Heinrich. For everyone else listening for the first time, please make sure to subscribe so that you're notified of future episode, episodes, I can't talk, on either Spotify, uh, Amazon, or Apple. And then lastly, you can check out our YouTube channel. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, you can check out eca-partners.com. For everyone else, we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks so much. Yeah.